For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm excited about this one. Uh, we wanted to talk Mike Pence, so we got the guy that wrote the book on it. Literally, in this case, he's got a book out, Piety and Power. Uh, he wrote the book on Mike Pence. We're going to talk Mike Pence. Tom Lobianco, he is a political reporter with Yahoo News. Good guy. Comes highly recommended from our mutual friend, Eric Garcia. So we'll say hi to him. How are you, my friend? Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Excited to be here. Uh, joining us from an undisclosed moving location because he's a busy, <laughs> busy man, but that's okay. Um Tom, take us back, because a lot of people didn't know who Mike Pence was pre-Trump, so all they know is Trump-era Pence. Yeah, That's not the Indiana Pence. Take us back to Indianapolis. Take us back to Indiana. Yeah. Who is Mike Pence, and where did he come from? Oh, boy, great question. You know, when I wrote the book, um, and I was, you know, doing my research, and I'll, I'll just, you know, quick, quick background around me. I, uh, you know, I've been covering Mike Pence for 11 years. I get this question now occasionally. They're like, why did you pick Mike Pence to cover the world's most boring politician? And the short answer is I didn't I didn't exactly pick him to cover. I was um, I was a, um, uh, uh, on contract with the AP covering the state house back in 2011. Well, so Mike Pence, you know, when I was covering him, I always underestimated him. And we all and we also had a bigger race out there, too. It's Dick Luger Senate race going on back in 2012. And I focused more on them because that's where more of the action was. Um, but what I found with Mike Pence, as I was doing the research for this book, as I was, the more that I covered him, and the more I saw him in a different light, you know, the more that I saw him in a, in a Washington light as well as an Indiana light, I stopped underestimating him. So a couple things to know on Pence, which I think we in the press sometimes miss and there's a reason that we miss him and i i think i also think it's purposeful too i mean he's a very calculated politician even at this moment is you don't have to be exciting to be successful sometimes you have to know your audience and i you know i've noticed that this week in particular we're coming off of the the trump pen showdown the return to dc in particular for trump since you know for the first time since january 6. i think this was pence's second trip uh, back to dc since then i think we did a um like a heritage foundation event last summer um and i see a lot of the coverage saying oh come on mike you missed your moment you know this was the pictures of the guy who was sitting in the loading dock calling in the national guard calling in the military to put down the you know what, what by all accounts what appears to have been the first attempted coup federal coup in american history um where's that guy 
where's Mr. Take Charge? And I've struggled with that. And I get that question a lot. And I think the answer is in his past. And the answer is in his communications and knowing your audience. Because that's not what sells with the Republican voters that he's going for right now. So what, you know, what does sell? He's he, obviously he seems to think that steady sells. And that's that comes from how he came up in politics. He's a very steady, disciplined, methodical, painfully slow, painfully, traditionally painfully indecisive politician. That's how he was as governor, at least. He comes from the way he's done things. You know, he came, he put in a lot of elbow crease to get to politics. He didn't start that way. He didn't run in his family. Um, he kind of, he kind of found his way to that. Um, you know, he's from, Mike Pence was born in 1959 down in Columbus, Indiana. His family had just moved there from Chicago. Uh, father was a, uh, a regional oil um, uh, 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 salesman for uh, Keel Brothers Oil Company. Um, and uh, they, you know, the family had, they had four boys in, in, in succession. And then they had two girls, his, his two younger sisters, about 12 years later. So it's almost like, you know, in terms of the, the staggering of the, the siblings, um, it's almost like two families, you know, because of the age difference, 12 years. It, it, it kind of captures the, the, the way that does a lot of politics. Is He's very good at morphing. He's very good at... Um, changing to meet the moment, the chameleon, you know, more so than other politicians. Every every politician is, is effectively a chameleon because, you, you know, there's a, there's a good reason for that. I mean, if you are being representative, theoretically, that is changes, that, that reflects changing opinions in a, almost a very benevolent reading of things. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> so my yeah. defense is very good at changing. One of the things that he does to cover for that a little bit is he glosses the truth a little bit. And, um, not like Trump. Trump just lies. The Pence has traditionally been better at traditional political spin, which itself is not great. Um, he had a he would always say on the campaign trail, I'm just a kid. I'm a kid. You know, I grew up in a small town in southern Indiana with a cornfield in my backyard. And that was one of his lines. And I remember thinking, like, I saw Columbus. The first time I saw Columbus, Indiana, it reminded me of, like, Frederick, Maryland, you know? A really nice, small, mid-sized city. You know, it's not huge. It's not New York. It's not L.A. It's not, you know, good-sized city like Baltimore, you know, wherever. Um, but it's also a city. And it's not, you know, like, it's not a one-stop town, okay? And... <laughs> I remember he would say that, and I'm like, well, this doesn't really seem to grab your roots. I mean, that's my, that was my thinking, at least. And I remember I was driving down there doing, I, mean, I was doing some research, and I was driving around Columbus with former neighbors of his, and they were helping me out, giving me a little tour. And we, you know, we go to his house, the second house they lived in, this new Rambler. And lo and behold, there was a cornfield behind that house. And I was gobsmacked. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute, there's actually corn here? You know? And I was like, well, what? why is there corn? And the answer, fittingly enough, was because Pence's family was doing so well, and good for them, that's, you know, that's what you want, that they kept on moving into the newest subdivision of Columbus as it grew further and further into the cornfields. So as the city cut into the cornfields, they cut with it. You know, they kept on bumping into the cornfields. 
And they did okay. They had money. His family, you know, they owned multiple marathon gas stations. Um, his father sold them off in the 80s and gave each of the kids a, um, a payout from that, it, you know, about a million dollars each. Um, and, you know, Pence, when he started out, it's one of the best observations I've heard um, from folks that know him is that he's very dutiful. He's very, uh, he's very orderly and methodical. Um, and you can actually see that in the way he comes up. You know, he goes, he attends a, a Catholic uh, a middle school, Catholic grade school down there in Columbus, St. Columba, and then uh, then transfers into Columbus North, the, the big public school later um, in the late 70s, mid-late mid 70s. Um, and his, his, uh, his debate teacher back then, his, his, his teacher, uh, coach and um, teacher in middle school, I always talk about how wonderful he was at remembering things and wonderful he was at, the, at understanding and grabbing the details and repeating them back. And, you know, anybody who's listened to a Mike Pence speech and, you know, they're not exciting. Um, and I've been listening to him for 11 years. They don't, they have not changed an awful lot. Um, knows that he's very good at repeating things back almost verbatim. Um, so that's kind of like how he approaches a lot of things. He's very directed. Um, and, you know, looking, you know, not getting too far ahead of ourselves here, you actually saw that on January 6th. And, you, and, you know, again, you actually see that in the title of his memoir is me coming out. So help me God. It's, it's a reference to his duty to the oath of office. It's the same thing that his top advisor said in January 6th hearings. Mark Short, he chose his loyalty and his duty to the Constitution over his loyalty and his duty to one man, Donald Trump. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And I've, I found a trend in his history where influential people would kind of push him in a direction. One of those is a guy named George M. Curtis III. That's kind of is a history teacher for him. And at uh, Hanover College in the late 70s, um, 1980 into 81, I think. Um, this is, you know, he writes this thesis um, for him, an undergraduate, called it's The Religious Expressions of Abraham Lincoln. And it's about Abraham Lincoln struggling with how do you match faith with the practice of politics. Um, and you read that and you see, and you, what I heard at least is you hear Mike Pence struggling with that. It was really, it's really fascinating. It's, 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 it's also kind of hard to find. Um, <laughs> they, put those, they put them under copyright down at the Hanover Library. <laughs> um, and you see Pence internalizing things. That's the way I read it, it's 37 pages. And again, great research he's kind of internalizing this stuff and it's when he's going through his own change you know he's grown up he's been raised catholic 
Um, of course, you know, Catholics highly dogmatic and um, low Bianco, you know, <laughs> but I get that. <laughs> and he, but he does start this conversion to evangelical, or, you know, or some kind of, you know, non-denominational Christian in college. You know, he has what he later determines to be a salvation experience. 1978, the Ifis Music Festival in Wilmer, Kentucky. Um, he feels Jesus there. There's a, I've heard different, he's given different versions of this. And I, I don't think it's because he's lying or anything. I think it's just, you know, memory doesn't always serve. And, um, you know, sometimes he, it's an altar call where he, you know, he feels that sometimes he's standing in the rain, sometimes he's sitting in the rain. But, the, you know, 1978, he has, this is his conversion. This is his salvation experience. Um, he doesn't leave the church. He doesn't leave the Catholic church until 1994, 16 years later. Um, you know, there are all kind of benchmarks along the way that you can use to um, see this. Uh, you know, his, him and his wife meet the Catholic Church, St. Thomas Aquinas, up in the, uh, 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 right near Broad Ripple in downtown Indianapolis. They get married in the Catholic Church in 1986, three years later, um, over near the uh, Indy Motor Speedway. Um, and they don't, and for a period of time, that period of time, they call themselves um, uh, evangelical Catholics. Going back to this point about people pushing Mike Pence, Karen Pence is the one who really kind of focuses him, kind of puts the blinders on him and gives him some direction because he's always been interested in politics, in philosophy, in history. Um, by now, gets him moving in towards like kind of classical liberal uh, conservatism. Um, he votes for he votes for Jimmy Carter in 1980 because he's the evangelical in that race. Um, but he later says that you know uh, he, he leaves he, he sides with Reagan after that, um, and Karen Pence does something similar. You know, you see that after they get married, um, Pence gets more concerned about po actually practicing politics, and he starts into this running into a race for Congress, 1988. Um, runs again a second time in 1990, and I always thought that. These two races, 1988 congressional race and the 1990 congressional race, to me, were always very telling of who the actual Mike Pence is. You know, before he is really put on the mask, before he's, you know, really started, you know, becoming stiff and, you know, politician, you know, he's more open back then. And, you know, he's young, he's green. Um, and he's very, you know, he follows the rules. Well, I'll give you two examples of this. He starts a machine politics. It's the Dick Luger political machine in Indianapolis. And we, you know, we always think of Democrat machine politics. Well, you know, Republicans are, you know, political operatives too. You know, like it would be so shocking they would have machine politics. And in Indiana and in Indianapolis back then, in the sixties and the seventies, the guy named Keith Bjorn and his protege Dick Luger build this machine, a powerful Republican machine. And Pence, you know, is a young up and coming operative, um, gets in on the ground floor with them. And they say, you know what? We got this race for you. There's this guy we've been trying to get rid of. He's a teacher in, um, at Ball State University. He's a Democrat. He keeps on winning. We don't think that he represents the, uh, the district. Um, why don't you run? You know, initially, Mike Pence had been thinking, I'm going to have to run for, you know, like city county council or, you know, like state house or something, and then run for Congress. 
you know, these guys are just like, well, just run for Congress, man. Like nobody else wants to do it because this guy keeps on cleaning our clock. <laughs> and, he, and he does. So he follows their instructions. The next set of instructions he follows is the, the new Gingrich campaign school. Okay. He flies to D.C. in 1987. Uh, and uh, he goes and he, he does the training at, uh, at the, it's the RNC and the NRCC. It's kind of, you know, the Lee Atwood or Newt Gingrich is part of this too. The guy who's kind of hands-on guys, the uh, former aide and advisor to um, uh, Gingrich's name is Joe Gaylord. And they teach you how to run a, a challenger's campaign against these main Democrats. You know, this is the precursor to the 94 Gingrich wave. And, you know, I found the book. I actually bought the, the guide on eBay, the, the training manual that they used. It's um, uh, uh, flying upside down, the, the incumbents, the challenger's guide to defeating incumbents. And guess what that calls for? It calls for tarring and, you know, mu just muddying up your opponents. Smash mouth politics. And guess what? Pence does it. He, he you know, they run the ads. They run the, you know, they, they does that in the first race, 1988. And he comes miraculously, it seems, within six points of upending this long-term congressman. And they're very, like, they're very, you know, inspired by that. So they keep running into the next one, and they go even nastier. You know, there's this famous advertisement in, you know, intense lore, and, you know, people in Indiana politics know about this. You know, obviously, nationally, more people are learning about this. The, the, the shorthand is called the Arab ad, because this is where he's losing this race terribly. From the second go in 1990, and he kind of throws up a hail mary. It's like the just the dirtiest ad you could think of. There's a you know white guy dressed up as a Arab oil sheik. You know, throws on aviator shades, and you know looks like something out like you know with a clash like Rock the Casbah. You know, like something like that. And uh, you know, I knew some of the guys that uh, helped him on this and helped him on those races back then. You know, talking with me for this and. You know, he said, you know, even at one point, you know, Pence, when he's coming up for this thing, he's writing the script for this thing. He thought it was going to be funny. He thought it was going to be amusing, like an amusing attack on his opponent. The, the attack was that my opponent supports foreign oil. You know, we need to get off foreign oil. You know, it has the ideas that the, the this, you know, the quote unquote Arabs, oil sheik, and, you know, thanks Pence's political opponent for sending so much money overseas from indiana to you know to the saudis and um pence when he's writing this the initial draft of this thing he wanted to have like two they had the guy have two a two pairs of aviator shades on so that we goes to take off the aviators there's another one underneath <laughs> just like you know and i talked with um uh, zogby zogby falling because he actually believe it or not man um back then um, I forget which group he was with back then. I, I think it might have been before he was as known for the polling. But they, you know, they pointed this out. They're like, my God, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, what? Like, come on. Number one, we fought this in the 88 cycle, and most people stopped this, you know? And now you're like, you're two years behind the cycle. You're throwing up a Hail Mary. And this is incredibly racist. Like, what are you doing? And Pence loses by 20 points, and he writes an apology. Which is a very kind of, you know, for him, it's this kind of a seminal moment in his life and career. It, it, it's an essay. Originally, it was going to be a book, believe it or not, actually. And I was, I'm, I've, I, I, oh man, boy, you got me going now. I, mean, I got like all these things I was like chasing for so long. And I kind of put them on the back burner. I totally forgot about it. Um, there's, a, there's a manuscript out there of this. There's more. There's more history. 
of Mike Pence that we can find. There really is. And I mean, there's, I've, I've, I tried to find as much as I could, but there's so much more on him. And I hope that he'll reveal more of himself because he is, you know, he, as it turns out, has become an important figure in American history. Um, so, but what ends up coming to this is he writes an essay and it's published in August of, of 1991, I believe, called Confessions of a uh, Negative Campaigner. And this is, you know, he says, and his aides say, as present this as, you know, atonement. He has apologized Arab ad, but but more generally for you know he's, the attacks that he ran against his, his opponent, Phil Sharp. Um, and this kind of creates this persona of like nice guy Mike Pence, and as, you know, his people say that like this is who he is really, and I think there's a lot true. There's a good bit of truth to that. Um, and again, it's always like, you always got to go the next step with him in the reporting. You know, you always got to find out just a little bit more. Um, I was doing the reading on this, like he was using it as like a media tour almost to keep his name in the press. And um, one of the reporters for the Indianapolis Star back then, Pat, Pat Traub, um, said, um, yeah, I asked him, he said, well, you know, uh, Mr. Pence, um, you wrote this essay, you apologized for the campaign. Have you called up Phil Sharp, your opponent? and apologize to him. And Pence says, no, I have not. And Trump's like, well, okay, so why are, why are we talking? Like, 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 should we be talking to him? And he's like, he's like, well, it's, it's, it's a confession. It's not an apology. I'm not apologizing to him. I'm just confessing, you know, I'm atoning. And it's like, well, okay. Now they don't talk about that part, you know. That you know, Mark Short doesn't go on the Sunday shows and say, "Well, it wasn't an apology; it was only a confession." I don't. I, I'm not even sure what the difference is um, myself. <laughs> you know, you only have so much bandwidth to cover these things. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some theological stuff that's really deep right there. But the long and the short of it, to get it into one or two sentences, is yeah. um, you can confess all you want to. If you want forgiveness, there's got to be some communication involved. Um, so if you're not communicating, you're not really after forgiveness. You're after something for yourself. Uh, I didn't need to study theology for 20 years to know that part of it, but that's the long and the short of that one, I believe. <laughs> well, and you know what, man? This is, um, this is clutch for understanding Mike Pence. Because when you understand the faith and his practice, you're easy, it's easier to separate out the politics. Because in a very real way, he doesn't—he does not let his practice bleed into his uh, his faith practice bleed into his practice in politics. And I'll tell you a, a great um, a great little anecdote um, from his 1988 race. Um, uh, Brian Streeter, who is a, um, a senior policy guy uh, for was a senior policy guy for him. He's over at American Enterprise Institute now. Um, he was in college at Bible College up in um, uh, Illinois. I think it was outside Chicago. I can't remember where exactly. Back in the um, late '80s, and he comes back to Indiana, and he's you know he's like twenties or late late teens, early twenties, and um, 
his family says, hey, you know, there's this there's this guy that we know is going to run for Congress. His name is Mike Pence. He's looking for some interns. Maybe you could help him out. And basically becomes his driver on the 1988 campaign. And there are these great moments these two have in the car, just driving through the cornfields out near Richmond, Indiana. It's there's actually I forget the, the number of the highway. It's actually a, it's a famous highway. Um, it's called like the highway of vice presidents almost because like there's a number so many vice presidents from indiana grew up on or near this highway in this stretch from like from fort wayne you know dan quails up in huntington indiana which is up at fort wayne up near michigan down through um richmond which is like kind of like a parallel to the ohio border um and they're, they're driving and they have this moment you know, Pence is still, you know, he's still figuring things out. He's still figuring out his own religion, his own faith, his own personal feelings almost. And um, he's talking with Streeter. He's, he's, you know, versed in the Bible. And you Catholics aren't always versed in the Bible. <laughs> so, you know, get like that, that modicum of separation from it, to say the least. And um, they're quoting verse to each other. And, you know, he has like, um, I forget the exact verse. Um, it, he has it like laminated in his in his um, like glove compartment, <laughs> and like there, and Brian Streeter does like a pop quiz on him, asking him to re recite the verse. And they do, he does, he does really well with it. You know, again, that methodical nature of um, of Mike Pence, that disciplined nature. Um, but one of the things that they're debating around this is how do you practice the faith in the political arena? How do you keep yourself? How do you not lose yourself? I'm really glad you brought this up. I'm really glad you brought, mentioned that. It's like, this is, it's got me going now. It's got the wheel spinning. It's, um, he, he's struggling with it. And you can see him trying to figure this out. And I think about that now because of all the struggling you see him doing in politics and you know with trump how do you do the right thing when do you run for president is running for president the right thing i mean i do think that you know from all my reporting you know people make fun of him for this um you know i've seen some people say that you know pence is a person who believes he's predestined for the white house and that based on my reporting that is not correct I've, i have not seen that and everyone i've talked with around him does not that's not how he works he does his check-ins you know, he does the daily check-ins with God. You know, he says, all right, well, where are we going? And, you know, things change. And now, you know, people close to him will tell you that, yeah, that, that's how he does this. You know, he listens, right? He listens for what's the answer. I was talking to Dave McIntosh, the uh, president of Club for Growth. He was um, close with Pence in the 90s. I'm still, still close with him. But, um, you know, Pence actually helped him run for uh, Congress in that congressional seat that Pence did not win in 1988-1990. Pence helps run David McIntosh for Congress in 94. And Pence, and McIntosh does win on the Gingrich wave. Um, and we had a great, you know, we were talking about this because he's, you know, uh, McIntosh is an evangelical Christian very much in the same mold as Mike Pence. I was asking him this. I'm like, you know, how do you know when God is telling you something? How do you know the answer? You know, this is not a, it's, I, you know, I'm so wrapped into politics, you know, my questions are usually like, all right, what, what, what's the tracking polls, you know, how much money did you bring in, you know, what's the demographics, what's your voter base, you know, standard, you know, 
mechanical stuff like that. But, you know, the nice thing about doing this book was like I had some more time to just pause and slow down and, 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 and think about all this. And Macintosh says, he says, you know, it's different for different people, but for a lot of folks, when you, you know, when you know that you have the right answer and this is the one that God is, you know, directing you towards, you feel like an internal peace. You feel comforted internally. You know, it's different for everybody. And that's kind of what I wonder with pets. You know, when I, when people say like, when he says that, like, you know, if we're, you know, am I going to run for president is, you know, one of his, um, his brushaways on that is, well, we're going to keep on checking in with God. Karen and I are going to keep on checking in with God. And I think, I think that's right. You know, I don't think that, I mean, I, I think it serves dual purposes, but you know, it's, I, I think that's true of his practice. Um, complicated man i'm still you know boy i haven't thought about this in a while <laughs> like, well, i mean, thought about this in, he's uh, checking in with god but he also has a staff of 20 and a 20 million dollar budget in an office in dc right now which is basically his campaign and waiting let's bridge those two things though because we're skipping the middle part how yeah. did the guy who even the part and this is why the republican party insisted and strong-armed trump into putting him on the ticket He's supposed yeah. to be the anti-Trump. He's the true blue evangelical. He's the level-headed one. He's the establishment guy. He has the political background from going through things. He has the executive background. Um, that's who that guy's supposed to be. Right. How did he become that guy? So in 2016, I think the thing to the thing to remember here, in particular, with that race is that you know there are a lot of people who were. Um, who were not wanting to be Donald Trump's vice president. You know, I write about this one example in the book where Bob Corker, former Senate Foreign Relations Chairman, goes up to, um, he goes to meet with Trump and he doesn't want to take the meeting because he doesn't want to be with Trump. Right. <laughs> and he's just like, don't come on and do it anyway. He goes up there and he rides up to, um, he rides up to uh, Trump Tower and he meets with Trump. And, um, he basically is very polite, and he says, I'm not interested. And after 30 minutes, Trump alerts him. He says, well, the TV camera's downstairs. And he's like, oh, okay, don't worry about it. I won't say anything, and I'll respect this conversation. And Trump's like, well, no. You just go down there and tell them that, that I offered it to you. And he's like, but you didn't offer it to me. He's like, yeah, they don't know that. Just tell them that. <laughs> really? Just you know? that blunt about it? I mean... I've never covered anybody like that in my entire life. You know, hey man, dude, your hair's on fire. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. You know, that's basically right. That's the, the ethos of that guy. I, it's really like, anyway. So, it's, um, it, but it's so know. contradictory to the what you painted out as Mike Pence. Not to be hard. I mean, there, there's no other logical explanation here. This was a calculated decision on the part of Mike Pence. He did a pros and cons, and he decided this is the wagon I'm going to. Now, we understand politically he was kind of dead-ended in Indiana for a couple of different reasons. Yeah. He made this decision to hitch up with Trump, and everything from that moment till now is dealing with that decision. No, right? Yes. Yes. 
You know what's fascinating about that is, um, and I write sensibly about that, there's a two-week stretch in July of 2016 where things kind of come together. Um, the, the Trump campaign plane pops a flat in, in Indiana, and he gets stuck there, and it kind of forces him into this, into, you know, sign, signing up funds. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been out, I, put, I put that a lot of that out there uh, already. But I will tell you that when in this decision making, you know, the, the kind of the calculus for Mike and Karen Pence, and two that they they do work as a as a, as a joint operation. It's really the two of them. Um, is that it's the same calculation everyone else is making? The same calculation that Mitch McConnell makes, Kevin not Kevin McCarthy. I'm sorry, Paul Ryan, but for other Republican leaders, which is. Donald Trump won't be a problem in four months because he'll lose. Because my God, how could this guy win the presidency? Like everybody's operating under that assumption. And one of our tells on this is that that we know about this in particular is because Pence's Pence's aides are going out there and telling Republican donors, lining them up for a presidential run in 2020, saying, "Hey, hop on board now, get at the table early, and you know you'll be there with the." possible front runner because Pence will have done run on a national ticket with Trump at that point. Theoretically will not have been too politically damaged. Um, and you know there does come a, you know one key moment of truth. I mean it's, you know it's funny to think how how quaint this sounds given all that we know now, but you know, think back to October of 2016, the Access Hollywood tape where Trump, you know, talks about, brags about molesting women and popping tic tacs so he can molest women. And it's and Pence has a decision to make whether to hop off. That's probably where he should have gotten off, you know, the train. But he didn't, and they both decided to stay on there. Um, and it was it was a political calculation, you know. It's obviously they prayed with it too, but it's impossible to avoid the politics of that, and it leaded, you know, led them right to here. Here is now we have another political calculation. We get to January 6th. We have the riot, the insurrection that was inside of the riot. We let's not parse all that out today. We have whatever happened with Mike Pence in the building that we're still arguing about. You know, the did I'm not getting in the car, all that kind of mess. But mm-hmm. let's just stick to the political calculation part because we know this is fact because it's on camera and we watched him do it. He hung with Trump through everything else up until the point of certifying the election. And that's when he picked his moment to break. So everything between there and there, he was okay with from the outside observer. And you tell me, cause you know more about him than I did. That was, I rode this to the absolute last possible moment I could. And then I stepped off. That's how it looks to me as the biographer, as the guy who knows him better than probably yeah. anybody else in the media. Is that how it came across to you? You know, on January 6th, when he wrote that letter, and I remember, you know, I was writing a story, I was in the middle of writing a story, 
about that letter because it sounded like the guy that had been subsumed by Donald Trump. It sounded like the real Mike Pence, the guy that used to study Russell Kirk. It sounded like who he is inside. And I was astounded by this. I was like, wow, where was this guy for the last four years? You know, right or wrong, it's, it's a reflection of character, you know, his character. Um, and then I put, you know, I have C-SPAN on in the background. And I see uh, Niels Lesnevsky from uh, his roll call, CQ roll call. And um, he's like, well, we're sheltering in place right now. And I can't really tell you where that is because it's a secure location. And I'm kind of like, the hell Neil's like what are you talking about man like and then like I flip around a little bit more I'm like oh my god I'm like wait a minute is this real like is any of this real it's like right after one o'clock on on January 6th and I'm like oh god like and I thought as this all unfolded and as we saw him act on that day I thought wow maybe Mike Pence is finally being himself and then three months later he's back on the campaign trail more or less running for president in 2024, hasn't stated it, not talking about January 6th, calculating again. And I am vexed by this. I really am. Uh, I'm still vexed by this because, you know, again, this week, you know, sometimes we see him have like little flashes of courage where he'll say, you know, Trump was wrong on January 6th. You know, and that gets everybody, a, you know, a Twitter about it, and we all read stories about it. But then he goes back to talking about how, you know, great everything was when they were working together. And boy, wasn't January 6th just a, quote, tragic day. And it's a lack of, um, it doesn't, like, calling it a tragic day doesn't, I mean, would you call Pearl Harbor a tragic day? You know, like, it just doesn't, like, it doesn't ring correct. Um, and I see him struggling with it. Um, but again, the flip side of this, which I, I, I always come back to, is knowing the political audience and what he's trying to do, which is running for president. That's what it looks like. He's not declared. He's not, you know, he, he, he hasn't said outright. He's doing the actions. I mean, you don't. You don't hang out in New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina, you know, Nevada, unless you got new plans, okay? And in some sense, and this will this is what the Trump people will tell you, it's almost like a revenge tour. You know, Trump gets all tries to get him killed or almost gets him killed on January 6th because he's, you know, staging this coup. You know, this is how you do it. It's kind of it's similar to the, the Mitch McConnell calculation. You know, you don't beat Trump, and I, I do think this is correct in the politics moment. If you were on the Republican side, where the vast majority of Republican voters do believe that January 6th was either not a coup or not an insurrection, or you know, a smaller subset believes it's a false flag operation, or you know, whatever, not, there's no evidence of any of that. Um, how do you address that? You know, if you're running for those votes, how do you do that? I always have to bring myself back to that, you know, because like in this moment in politics, we just don't have clarity in that world, in that side of things. If not, I'm sure there's a Democrat corollary, but I'm still watching this right now. I'm having a hard time finding it.
<laughs> See, I think I might have been wrong about Pence in this respect because I we always talk about presidential candidates. You got to have a constituency. Doesn't matter your popularity. What's your constituency? Joe Biden shocked everybody because he had the constituency and they showed up, and all of a sudden that race was over in two weeks. Yeah. I always said Mike Pence doesn't have a constituency, but as we've talked through this, the biggest constituency that made Donald Trump president was the same ones that we're dealing with with January 6th, was the same ones that Mike Pence is thinking about now. It's those evangelical Christians and Republicans and conservatives, and I'm going to use that term broadly, we'll argue it some other day. Sure. It is what it is. That group of people, that outsiders who are not them, the news media, the mm -hmm. center, the left, the progressives, yeah. they can never figure them out and go, how can you believe this X, Y, and Z evangelical Christianity and still support why Donald Trump? Doesn't Pence have a consistent that I think that's who he's shooting for. I think that's who he sees himself as is, oh, I did it, but I didn't compromise myself. This is his interlog monologue, not mine. He's saying mm -hmm. this is how we did it. We accomplished some things. There were some bad things. I broke with him when it went too far, because let's be honest, whoever's the next leader of the Republican Party is is going to be the guy who takes out Trump because you got to do that to get that job. That's how that's going to go. He is yep. clearly purposefully pointing out we see it in arizona we saw it in georgia we're seeing it in other places he is starting that process now this is another political calculation so my question to you is this is unfair but it's your job because you wrote the book <laughs> is which mike pence is this is this the calculated one is this the real mike oh. pence or is mike pence to use an old wrestling term has he believed the gimmick because he's been running for president for six years and this <laughs> is who mike pence is now does he believe the gimmick? Because I think God. I yeah. think the cultural Christianity Mike Pence gimmick is just who he is after six years of being it. Oh, I'm going to tell you, man, I'm going to tell you great. Okay, so you're ready. I did dissect this in the book. And um, it, it's, um, okay, so I had this question too. You know, why is Pence who, you know, goes to Greenwood Community Church in Indianapolis and, you know, 96th Street Community Church, you know, I, yeah, I attended service at 96th Street Church, and I did not hear people, you know, spewing, you know, brimstone and fire and talking about how, he, you know, got a drawn quarter of gaze because that's an affront to God or whatever. I didn't, I did not hear that in the service, and I did not hear that from the people that I know that attend service there. You know, it's not, that's not that type of church. And everything I could find is that that's not, that Mike Pence's type of practice. You know, I talk a lot about in the book about premillennial dispensationalism because that is a thing that feeds into this concept of Trump as a savior character. You know, even to Pence's people, we even talk about him in this sense. You know, when Craig Jacob in January 6th hearing said that he, he turns to Daniel 6, he brings, you know, re reads that. I'm getting tingles right now thinking about it. It chills, man. It's really, I do. Every time this, this comes up in the hearings, man, it's just get chills. Um, that's Daniel and the Lions. And look at, and, this, and look who the protagonist is. Pence is a Daniel character to his people. This is how they talk about him. He's, he is a Daniel. He is the, he is the slave who is a faithful servant to the tyrant and to God. Again, the dutifulness. Yeah, I know, man. Right? I, dude, I get chills just thinking about it because there is a depth to the character, but there's also, and, you know, there's also a depth to the BS, too. That's also part of it. You know, Trump is such a, you know, such a surface level character that it's easy to forget that there's layers to other humans. 
<laughs> you know, like Trump is a pretty transparent person. A lot of other people are not, you know. See, that's where I draw the line between Trump and Pence. And maybe this is unfair, but this is just me being, you know, a political observer and an analysis and a writer and a host of media. Mm-hmm. Trump is what he is. He's he's true to who he is, although I disagree with lots of it. I think that's bad. I think it's been bad for the country. He is who he is. He, mm-hmm. That's his natural state. I don't see any way where the Mike Pence stuff isn't far more calculated. There's just, yeah. and I'm just going off action. There's just no other way to call it. Trump's just doing it the way he thinks he ought to do it. It's, it's just who he is. <laughs> Pence is navigating around this. And the problem yes. with navigating around it is you have to be calculated. And the more calculated he is, the more apparent he is that the all shucks, God loves me, me and Ma just trying to get through life here. Yeah. That, that last tweet about Trump, that was stone cold. Like he he is more calculated by the day and by the tweet. This is just me observing it as mostly unbiased because I didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. I think he's getting more and more calculated because this is learned experience for him over the last few years. Yeah, I'm with you, man. It's yes, a couple of things on that. He is calculating, and it's it, the, the the this whatever pre-campaign for president in 2024 that we're watching right now, and most people do expect him to run for president. Um, is calculating. He's picking in, in these shots. You know, he did, you know, Brian Kemp showdown in Georgia. And he won that one. You know, he won that proxy battle. Got another one coming up with Wisconsin. He is incredibly calculating there. Um, and it does make me wonder, you know, I still wonder about, you know, who is the core of this guy. There's certain things that, you know, very much, you know, very obvious about is the core of, of him. Pro-life, anti-abortion, 100%. And there's a good and there's a good barometer for that, which is you look at the rest of the hypothetical to the perspective 2024 field, and they're running away from it. Donald Trump, who, you know, should get the political credit for this, for putting in three justices on there, yeah. you know, or arguably McConnell should, anyway, you know, but he's running from it. He's saying we shouldn't be talking about this. Cotton, Pompeo, Haley, all the rest of them. You know, they're kind of running away from this. Pence is running into it. He's running on it. He's holding down, holding that down. That might just be a life raft, but he's doing it. So, and I do think that is part of his core. He has been consistent on that. But the other stuff, I don't know. You know, I still, I still struggle with this. After eleven years of following this guy, like I don't, I don't always know who he is. You know, is he, is he the faithful servant under fire? trying to lead his people through tumultuous times. You know, another, you know, another allegory, they say another anecdote is um, Joseph and the Pharaoh, you know, and Pence is Joseph in that case. Is it like that? I don't know. You know, that's certainly one way of viewing it. You know, the flip side of that also, or a secular, you know, way of stating that would be adult in the room, you know? I think you have seen some adults in the room where people attempt to be adults in the room. But then you also get but then you also get Rudy Giuliani in the room. So obviously the adults were not able to keep out the lunatics. You know, and anyone telling me about, you know, changing votes via Italian satellites redirecting through Chinese thermostats is not is not <laughs> no. sane. Sorry. No, no, they're <laughs> not. You're fine. 
Tom Lobianco, we really appreciated the time. We're going to do this again. I'm going to have you back as soon as you can arrange it because we got a lot more to talk about this and he's running for president. So we're going to be talking about it for two years. Uh, the book is Piety and Power. We're linking to it in the show notes. Make sure you buy it and read the whole thing. Let folks know where they can follow you until we see you again back on Hertel. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Tom Lobianco, I'll spell it. So I got to say it. L-O-B-I-A-N-C-O. Tom Lobianco. You find me on Twitter. Uh, Tom Lobianco at Gmail. You know, T Lobianco at Yahoo Inc. I'm over at Yahoo News. All my stuff over there. And um, yeah, man, wherever wherever good quality podcasts are aired around the around this country. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we're gonna definitely have you back. You quoted Daniel six. I'm a Daniel three guy. Y'all can figure that out on your own some other time. Oh, um, wow, man. Right down to the Twitter handle. Everybody always asks me where that's from. That's Daniel three. Um, we thank you so much for your time today. We'll do it again real soon. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Andrew. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.